Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about paid marketing. Uh, even more, we will unite paid marketing with automation. And I'm excited to discuss this topic with Frey Velez. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Anatoly? Nice to be on your show. Yeah, it's a big pleasure. It's a big pleasure. You know, I check out your profile. Yeah, you have extended experience. Can you tell more about your background experience and why you decided to take this topic? Yeah, so I've been doing PPC for over 20 years. Uh, I started at Google in the relatively early days in 2001. So I was one of Google's uh, first 500 employees. And I've been doing uh, Google AdWords, basically, what it was called back then. <clears throat> uh, helped create some of that. I was involved in the acquisition of Urchin, which now is Google Analytics. I was involved in Quality Score for seven years. I was on the team that created the uh, AdWords Editor, which is now called the Ads Editor. Um, helped build conversion tracking because, yes, surprisingly, there was actually a time when that didn't exist in Google Ads. Um, and so I did that for about 10 years and then I shifted, I, um, started managing some accounts and then I was like, oh my God, this is like so complicated. It takes so much time. So there's gotta be a better way. So I built a software called optimizer with my two co-founders and my team. And so we've been doing that for like nine years now. So, uh, we have a PPC management optimization software and, uh, Hey, with Google, there's always new stuff. So we're never bored. We're always building great things. Cool, got it. Um, it's interesting, you know, uh, 10 years ago when uh, I started to use Google Ads, uh, I think that, yeah, I didn't use any help, just uh, open account, you know, and uh, made everything from scratch. But today, when I check out all the settings, you know, when you pay uh, more attention to organic reach, it's hard, you know, to customize all the settings. Can you tell how your software can help uh, beginners who, for example, uh, have no experience with that, but they need to customize uh, the right message and uh, to reach out to the right audience. Yeah. No, and that's the crazy thing. I mean, there's so much more automation in the ad platforms now. So if you go into Google, mm -hmm. they basically say, we'll automate bidding, we'll automate messaging, we'll automate targeting. But really, when they, when they say automated bidding, well, which of these seven types of flavors of automated bidding will you do? And will you remember to do all the prerequisites to make sure that the automated bidding actually knows what it is you're trying to achieve? And so, yeah, it is a little bit tedious, um, even for people who've been doing it for a long time. So if you're a newbie, it's tricky, right? And so our software, we have an auditing component. And one of the things we run through is basically like, are your settings correct? Um, you know, stupid stuff like, are you targeting every language in every country? That's probably not the best thing to do, uh, right? So you should probably have one campaign for English speakers in the United States and maybe a different campaign for German speakers in Germany and those types of things. And then it gets into the more complex logic as well. So if you're using automated bidding, what kind of attribution model do you have associated to your campaigns? And so you may even be a sophisticated advertiser who knows you should not use last click attribution, but you made a new campaign last week and you forgot to change the setting, right? And so that's the type of stuff we'll pick up on. We'll tell you that it's, uh, you know, maybe not the best it should be. We'll give you an easy way to switch it to the right thing. Um, and so that's sort of the first step of the, the software of what it does. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it. Uh, okay, let's talk more about automation. Uh, uh, it helps to save time, money, or uh, to reach uh, the target audience because uh, um, I often get the question that uh, paid marketing doesn't work for me. Uh, SEO works, but paid uh, doesn't. And uh, I usually, when my team check check uh, check out uh, the settings, we can see that. Uh, uh, only mess there you know yeah. <laughs> because uh, yeah it, it's hard to do it if you have no experience with that it's better to hire experts uh, who can uh, handle the process what about automation uh, how it uh, helps uh, uh, in most cases uh, to save time or uh, money with uh, cost per click yeah exactly i mean automation can help with everything right it's going to save mm-hmm. your time but it can also find better results, more results at a lower cost per acquisition or a higher return on ad spend. Now, the reason that it doesn't work for many people is that they're so used to doing PPC and paid search the old way. And in the old way, this is an example about attribution models, right? So say that I sell sneakers. I'm Adidas. I sell mm-hmm. sneakers. Um, and I have a last click attribution model. And so what that means is only the last keyword that somebody clicked before they bought a pair of my sneakers is going to get credit for that sale. Okay, so think about the typical user. The typical user is like, okay, well, I'm going to type for search for sneakers. Oh, now I see that there's a couple of big brands like Adidas and Nike and Under Armour. Okay, so let me go deeper on those. And then you start to figure out, oh, maybe I want the Ultra Boost 22 from Adidas. And so you go down this journey, right? And then the last thing you search is Adidas Ultra Boost in size 10 and a half in a specific color. And that's what gets all the credit. Now, if you're Adidas and you look at your reports and it tells you that the keyword sneakers had very few conversions, well, you as a human, you're smart enough, you know that that is our business. We're not going to dial down that keyword. We're not going to remove that keyword because that'd be stupid, right? Even though the reports tell us it's not valuable, we do know that in the consumer journey, this actually matters a lot. Now, automation, when you shift to to more automated bidding, automated bidding is not as smart as humans. So they look at that report and they see, oh, sneakers, not that many conversions. So let's just back off of that. Now, what automation has done in that process is, is they've taken your funnel. And if you think about the old funnel being like, like this, right? They've just taken the upper section and they made it narrower and narrower. And that makes the bottom of the funnel narrow as well. And so that's why you then say, oh, well, I used automation and I didn't see results. I didn't get many sales. And it was because you made that one little mistake about attribution models. And that's just one of the many mistakes you can make, right? Because automation, it doesn't have the human intelligence. So unless you really tell it what it needs to do, it's just not going to work. <laughs> I think that's okay if you make mistakes because <laughs> failure yeah. only brings a new experience, nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, analyzing competitors. For example, um, uh, if you uh, some brands want to compete with uh, big brands, I don't know, Nike, Adidas, all these brands, you know, what kind of brands. And uh, um, sometimes uh, big brands highlight their uh, strong sides. And um, it's not a good idea to overcome them in their strong sides. For example, they have a huge budget or uh, much better uh, propositions. Uh, how to find uh, priorities and highlight unique selling proposition for specific brands? Exactly. And I think that's really the beauty of paid search is that 
it's an auction, right? So, but it's an auction that's based on how much you're willing to spend on a click, but also what is the relevance of your ad. And so I spent, like I said, seven years on quality score. And mm -hmm. the whole beauty of the system was if you're competing against Nike, you can actually have a better value proposition that Nike doesn't have and that raises your quality score. And hence you have to pay less money than Nike, even for a higher position of the ad. And a lot of people don't understand this. The first ad doesn't always pay the highest amount. They pay the highest aggregate amount on a cost per impression basis, but on a true cost per click basis, which is how Google charges, they may actually pay less because they just have a better quality ad. Um, so that's one key point, right? And so how do you get to have that higher quality score? And like you said, it's about the value proposition. So if you're a local retailer and you have the thing in stock, that's a huge deal, right? I mean, Nike has fast shipping, but it's still going to take one to two days before your sneakers arrive. If you can just drive over for five, 10 miles to a local store that has the product, if you need it now, that's a pretty big deal. If you have a loyalty program for your store, um, that's a value proposition that might be different than what the big brands have. And so you can start putting all of these things in. Now, it used to be very challenging because for you and me to say, oh, this is the one thing that's really going to get that consumer to engage with our ad that's going to get that a higher position. That's difficult. But Google, thanks to automation, has made that easier. Uh, Google and Microsoft too, by the way. And so they call this responsive search ads. So even a couple of years ago, when I wrote an ad, I wrote two headlines, I wrote a description, and then I had to hope that I put in the right message. Now what I can do is I can give Google 15 different headline variations and four different descriptions, and they will put it together on the fly. And what's really neat is they start to understand, oh, that, you know, Anatoly, well, he, he likes these sports. And Fred, he likes these different sports. And so based on that, they might say, well, okay, maybe we should have a different value proposition for Fred than for Anatoly. Uh, based on what the system knows about us. And now, now it's the same advertiser, but Google's automatically showing different ads that are much more likely to resonate. Um, and so you don't have to get it exactly right. You just have to know what are sort of like the 15 value propositions that I should try that make me unique and different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more about personalization, yes, uh, if I understand. <laughs> okay. Exactly. It's, you know, more one-to-one -one marketing in a way, personalization. Um, mm -hmm. But that's difficult, right? I mean, if you and I were to figure out, I mean, like kind of like in the old days of Google ads, personalization almost meant I have to know every single keyword that somebody might type in. And I have to have a different ad for every single location and every time of day, because all these elements, they factor into what somebody might mean when they type something in. Think about the keyword uh, printers. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a big difference if it's a corporate person looking for printers versus um, a consumer looking for printers. Like a consumer is going to buy one printer, probably an inkjet, a big corporation, while they might buy a thousand laser jet printers. But they all typed in the keyword printers. And so how do you distinguish between those? Well, you could look at locations. Did they come from a, a location in like a downtown area where it's more likely that there's office high rises? Um, what time of the day was the search done? Like, was it during business hours? Maybe more likely corporate versus was it done in the evenings? Maybe more likely a consumer. Um, but there's so much complexity to that, right? And so Google now steps in and says, well, we'll figure that out for you. So all you have to do is give us the components and we'll try to show the right ad to the right person at the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, valuable. Uh, 
I have a, a personal question. For example, um, my agency uh, ranks uh, well on Google, uh, but in paid marketing, I always see some uh, brands like SEMrush, uh, many others. And, you know, we don't sell uh, SEO tools, but they use, uh, but uh, yeah, we sell uh, SEO services. Uh, and they set up paid ads uh, for many years, you know, with our branding name. Is it good strategy or it depends on, uh, I don't know, level of competition or something like this? Because uh, I, I'm not sure that SEMrush can get a lot uh, from customers who are looking for SEO services, uh, but trying to lead them to SEO tools. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it depends, right? And mm-hmm. see, the thing is, buying an ad on Google is no silver bullet. It's not going to magically get you to immensely grow your business. You have to you have to have a good, solid business. And so uh, SEM Rush, well, they've been doing this for a long time. So they have amazing landing pages. They've thought about this, right? They know if somebody comes to our site, well, either we convert them. But like you said, maybe they're actually advertising on something that's auxiliary to the core thing of what they do. Now, then obviously that person is not going to convert right there. But maybe SEMrush said, well, let's cookie that user. Let's start building a relationship with that user. Let's ask them for their email address. And they have great content, right? So now every month we send them a list of here's four blog posts that help you be a better SEO, better agency. And so over time, they build that relationship. And eventually that customer is like, oh, well, maybe I need some sort of a tool. So, oh, and SEMrush, they've really helped me. I, I trust those people. So let me go and maybe buy something from them. Um, and actually, Optimizer does the same thing, right? It's uh, We find it very difficult to just go out there and be like, hey, Anatoly, like you need a piece of PPC optimization software because maybe that's not what you were thinking, right? Um, mm-hmm. But give it like two, three weeks from now, like a few of your employees get sick and they can't come in and you're like, oh my God, like we got so much work that needs to be done. I need an automation tool. And that's when you're in the mindset of, okay, I need to see what's out there. And so for us, if that's the first exposure to you, it's really challenging, right? Because you don't know who we are. You don't trust us. So we're competing on a level playing field against 10, 15 other competitors. But if we've helped you along the way, and and like today I'm talking to you, right? And and maybe you take a few ideas from this and great, go for it. Great insights. Um, And then a couple of weeks, a couple of months down the road, you're like, hey, I need a tool. Oh yeah, Fred sort of like seems to know what he's talking about. And I, I like his strategies and his strategies are supported in the tool that he has. So, okay, I've got one leg up on everyone else. And that's what it's about, right? So you just got to figure out where things position in and how much you're willing to pay, able to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also ensure that, you know, it's not that one interaction becomes the last thing, but that becomes the first uh, interaction in a long journey, in a long relationship with that person who may eventually become your customer. Yeah. Okay, Samrash, you can steal my traffic, you know. <laughs> if you want to build real relationships, steal it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I have uh, the question about um, um, creating amazing landing page because you mentioned uh, you need to have this uh, an amazing landing page. Can you share some insights how to do it? For example, uh, for SEO, we usually create long content. Um, uh, and uh, it doesn't mean that we, we always create a long content, but in most cases, it ranks much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, for uh, pay-per-click, I often see a few words, you know, just more uh, 
I don't know, some elements, uh, pictures, uh, other infographics. Can you tell more how to create uh, such piece of content that will provide results uh, in pay-per-click? Yeah, it's a completely different mindset, right? So on SEO, the reasons you put in a lot of content is because you want Google to pick that up and say, hey, this is a, a really interesting page about those concepts, those keywords. On paid search, like we've already bought the keywords. We have literally told Google, this is the keyword that we're willing to spend money for. So we don't even really have to have that keyword on the page. Now, that said, you should probably have that keyword on the page because it's this whole thing about what we call preserving the scent of the query. So the mm -hmm. user types something in, right? They, they look for uh, amazing PPC software. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now they see our ad for optimizer, they click on it. Well, they want to see that word again because they want to see something about PPC software so that they know that they're on the right sort of page, they're in the right realm. But we don't have to go deep. We don't have to explain it at that point. We just have to figure out, well, what is it we want people to do? And in our case, that'd be, we can give you a demo, we can show you how it works, or you can have a free trial account. So just go ahead and sign up for that, right? We're not going to spend paragraphs upon per paragraphs of explaining what PPC software is and why you need it because you searched for it. So you probably know why you needed it. Um, right. So that's the big difference. And then obviously what do you do about landing page speed time um, or load time is huge, right? Google hates slow landing pages and that's the same in SEO as it is in PPC with the image. Uh, generally it has to be an image of happy people. You want the eyes of those people to look towards um, the action you want them to take, which is often filling out a form. On the form, you have to think about what's the minimum amount of information I need to get to that next step. And again, this is not, you're not asking the person to buy something from you at that point. You're just asking the person to have some level of engagement, right? Give me a little bit of information and I'll give you a little bit more. And if you like what I give you, then give me a little bit more. And it becomes like this back and forth. So if you can get away with just asking for an email address, that's great because now you have that. Um, and then also think nowadays much more about first-party data. So we all know that the third-party cookie is slowly going away. So it, it's already mm -hmm. gone in many browsers. Google's getting rid of it eventually. So as a business, it's so important that you build your first-party data list. And that means get someone's email address. So if they visit your landing page, that's great. Cookie them, but also ask them for information. So that down the line, when the third-party cookie is gone, you at least have a database of everyone you know you've engaged with, how you've engaged with them, and you can sort of deploy new tactics to go after them. And that's really going to give you an advantage because at some point, an advertiser can no longer go to Facebook and say like, hey, find me all people who did X, Y, and Z. They can't, right? So for you, you've been building that list and you've been building your own data for it. So you're like, well, here's the list, my first party data, now show ads to that list. That's still going to work, right? So that's, that's an advantage you'll have. That Thank was from North Korea. Korea. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, these guys uh, can't um, join us on our live stream because <laughs> they don't. Yeah. We have no internet, but you know, yeah, they're interested to learn about data, and new stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, you know, uh, can you tell more about uh, Facebook? Uh, because uh, in most cases, paid marketers uh, set up uh, campaigns for Google and Facebook, uh, two platforms. Uh, probably they have uh, the whole uh, trade uh, and address. Uh, 
I don't know exactly the ratio, but uh, in most cases uh, they take the whole trade. Uh, what is the main difference uh, setting campaigns for Google and Facebook today? Yeah, I mean, so even within paid search, I mean, there's a very clear delineation between search, so paid search and paid social, mm-hmm. um, because they're so different, right? So social is really about finding an audience that's interested in certain things and kind of interrupting them generally in the flow. Like I don't go to Facebook or I don't go to social media to do a search. I go there to be entertained, to be mm-hmm. informed, to, to process a feed. Um, and so that's very different on Google. I go to Google to type in whatever I want and I expect to see relevant answers. And if that relevant answer happens to come from an advertiser, that's great. I'll still click on that. On Facebook, it's a higher bar, right? I'm engaging with content. Now you need to distract me and and be like, oh yeah, I'm actually, I want to see more about that. Um, So fundamentally very different. They they fit in different stages of the consumer journey, right? So Facebook is amazing for branding. You can also do direct response, but the bar is just a little bit higher. Uh, And so the way that we look at it in our platform is if you run ads, we will tell you between the different platforms, Amazon ads, Google ads, Microsoft ads, Facebook ads, What's performing well? So if you have a return on ad spend goal, we will tell you where that return is happening. And so then we can say, hey, well, let's maybe shift a little bit of the budget from this platform to that platform because there's still headroom for more traffic on Google, which may have the highest return on ad spend. So let's take some of the lower performing budgets and move those over. And then if you get more budget eventually, then you can reallocate it back to those lower performing places. Um, but the trick, of course, is how do you measure it, right? Because obviously on Facebook, you may be engaged, you may be interested in initial engagements. Um, and then that initial engagement ultimately leads to a Google search, which leads to a sale. And that's why this whole cross-channel, cross-platform attribution and measurement is so important. And you you want to, um, you know, not do last-click attribution. And I, I talked about that too, right? Last-click attribution being bad. Mm-hmm. It, it literally is for that reason, because consumers just don't do one thing that leads to a sale. They do many things that lead up to it. And those early things, if you don't give them credit, then then you're going to make bad budget decisions, bad bidding decisions, and that's going to hurt your overall growth. Yeah, yeah. Today it's important to share value first and only then <laughs> to sell products. Uh, okay, you know, uh, once uh, my son, 11 years old, asked me uh, to give money uh, to buy uh, a new game. I, I denied the request. I told him, if you want to buy something, I can buy books, interesting books. Uh, let me know any topic. I'll, I'll buy it. Uh, and uh, what he did, <laughs> he registered in uh, some resources online that promised him to earn $100 a day to click on pay ads. You know, yeah, uh, I found it. <laughs> uh, by the way, I don't want to criticize uh, his decision because uh, he want to earn money. That's okay, you know, yeah, on his yeah, age. He's creative, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the first business, you know, but he couldn't earn $100 a day, even a dollar a day. <laughs> it's hard to earn. But yeah, in reality, these services exist. Can you tell how to fight against uh, such uh, fake clicks today uh, when you pay $2 per click or $10? It's a lot. Yeah, uh, what to do today? Yeah, and in some cases you pay $100 per click. Like if you're in the legal field, $100 is not uncommon. 
So, I mean, Google obviously understands that that's a fairly significant issue. So they have amazing click fraud detection systems. Mm -hmm. It works at a couple of levels, right? So if they detect um, unusual behavior on the fly, they will automatically take those clicks out of what they charge. So you'll still register the clicks in your analytics. But if you compare it to your Google Ads reports, those clicks are not going to be there. Um, And that works well for like a behavior where I'm sitting there. I'm just like click, 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 click. Mm -hmm. They can detect that. Now, if I'm like, ah, once a day, I'm going to go look at my competitor and click on their ad. And every day I go and do it again. That they can't detect on the spot. So what they do is they look retroactively back and then they say, oh, that looks like it was a suspicious behavior. So then they refund for those clicks. And that shows up in a different report in Google ads. So, you know, by, by most measures, Google does a good job with that. I mean, some of it, I'm sure, gets through. And that's why it's so important for you to uh, to also be optimizing your account. So one thing we do in Optimizer is we, uh, and, and this is one of our more high-end offerings that costs a little bit extra because it's so valuable, but mm-hmm. we can detect placements that are full of junk, right? So people can take a Google ad. And usually when we say Google ad, we talk about an ad on a search page, but you can also put those ads on the display network. And so someone can come in and say, I have a website. I want to show Google ads on it. And I, I want to get a cut from every click that happens. And that's where that whole click uh, fraud behavior comes from, right? Because the more clicks they get on their website, the more money they will earn from Google, um, right? So we, we don't necessarily go after the IP detection, but we say, oh, here's a placement. Here's a website with lots of clicks, lots of cost, but very few conversions come in. And we manage a lot of ad spend. We manage multiple billions of uh, ad spend per year so we can look across that and we can say here's a couple of placements that are not working so you as a newer advertiser you can automatically take advantage and we'll exclude that for you and we're constantly rotating that so that as a new placement comes out and click fraudsters are setting up new sites and find new ways to game the system we're automatically staying ahead of that and uh, and saving you money so but, but but again it's like even if you didn't do that but you measure your cost per acquisition goals and your return on ad spend goals, you're still going to do well on, on Google. But then if you want to get to that next level, well, yes, there are savings to be had by doing techniques like this. Yeah, got it. Interesting. Yeah, that means Google can uh, do this job. You don't need to worry a lot about that. Yeah, and Google does an amazing job, right? And think about it from the perspective of the information that Google has. So, so even if, I mean, most people think about click fraud behavior as being, um, you know, the, the same person doing it repetitively. But now what if you get a thousand people in a click fraud farm doing certain things? Well, Google has so many signals about what is a typical behavior on a website. Like what's a typical distribution of which browser someone uses and screen sizes somebody uses. And it's very difficult for some individual to fake all of those factors to have an invalid click. And think about it in terms of the elections, right? So I live in the United States. Mm -hmm. So in the United States, when there's a vote for president, you expect a certain number of votes to come from California versus New York. Um, And that's just one factor, right? That's that's almost like saying, well, there's different browsers and we know that 70% of market share is using Chrome browsers. So when I show an ad, it's reasonable to expect that 70% of your clicks will come from a Chrome browser. And so Google can look at, and this is one of thousands of signals. And so they put all of these signals together and now they're like, well, something about this one click looks suspicious. It's like, there's, 
we got two clicks from this really unique combination of things. That's weird. So they might proactively refund that. And that's the type of stuff that's really hard um, for fraudsters to, to circumvent. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I need to... To speak with my son, you know, to explain him. <laughs> I think he understands because he couldn't earn money with that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, you mentioned about uh, that uh, automation tools can help uh, create uh, 15 uh, different variants for uh, paytests. I mean, like titles, descriptions. Uh, what about landing page? Uh, can you suggest how many landing pages? Uh, uh, websites need to create you know to personalize experience to analyze because uh, uh, we don't know exactly uh, which pages will bring more results and sometimes we can fix a few words you know yeah to get much higher conversion rate from your experience uh, um, yeah so honestly that is not something we've looked at very deeply mm -hmm. uh, we do work with a lot of e-commerce companies and so there the guidance is don't take people to your homepage, right? You have a product detail page. Uh, you have a product listing page. Mm -hmm. um, and and there, and I don't even have guidance for that, but, but just think for a second. So if somebody types uh, a search for a very specific sneaker, then you probably want to take them to a page about that sneaker. But what if you know that that sneaker is only available in size 5 and size 14? Okay, there's very few people that have those sizes of feet it's it's kind of like on the um the curve these are the outliers so in that case you might say hey maybe it's a better thing for me to take people to a page about similar sneakers uh, the similar model or similar similar colors but show them a variety of things that are actually available in very common sizes um, and that takes a bit of testing right and it also takes a, a lot of integration and so we have tools that can do this so we can say Give us your data feed based on how many products there are. We can change the landing page from the listing page to the detail page. Um, but, but also think about your landing page. So are you showing similar offers? Are you able to do so? Like if, if the shoe's out of stock, are you capturing the email address to tell the person when the shoe comes back into stock? So, uh, so those are the considerations. When it comes more to lead gen, I think it's a little bit less important um right and it depends from business to business but if you're a lawyer i mean do you really need to show a different picture for every type of law that you practice probably not right the thing that probably compels people to to submit their info is uh trust factors so what kind of reviews have you had how long have you been in business like where is your office located in some prestigious part of town uh, those are the things that probably compel people more and so in that case you may have 15 types of law you practice, but you can have a single landing page. Now, one little trick is you can do dynamic keyword insertion. So you can actually grab the keyword that somebody searched and you can then dynamically insert that somewhere in the headline of the, the page and say, um, oh, you were looking for a, um, an injury lawyer or you were looking for an immigration lawyer, right? You grab immigration lawyer, injury lawyer, that comes from the keyword. You insert that dynamically on the landing page. And again, that's the moment when it clicks in the, the, the searcher's head. It's like, oh, yeah, this firm actually does what I need. It's not just some generic firm. And then they're more likely to fill out that form or call and, and become a client. Yeah, yeah, got it. Interesting, yeah. Uh, I like your example. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk um, about um, 
uh, where to start uh, uh, for uh, websites that wanna jump on this field because um, from my experience many websites uh, fail from first attempt uh, and they think it doesn't work for me uh, uh your suggestions what they need to do first or you have some uh, checklist uh, uh that things will go right you know because um, i think in paid marketing sometimes that's okay to lose money uh from the first attempt to check them out and analyze uh yeah where you need to go yeah i mean first of all put yourselves in the shoes of the, the user that you expect to become mm-hmm. a customer And imagine what might they type into the search box when they were looking for your product. And so generally, that's not something super generic. It may also not be super specific, right? Super specific, there's just not enough volume. Super mm-hmm. generic, it could mean many things to many people, right? The keyword dogs is a horrible keyword because if someone types in dogs, are they looking for dog food, dog vets, yeah. dog accessories? You don't know. Um, dog food, that's a great keyword because you know what they're searching for. Uh, a specific brand of dog food, again, maybe that's too specific. Not enough people search for that specific one. So that might also not be a great place to start. Now, as you become more experienced, you can go in both directions, right? You can broaden things out um, and still get good results. But in the beginning, focus on sort of what we call the torso. So there's the, the head, head queries, tail, long tail queries, and there's the torso in the middle. So the torso is a good place to start. And then like you had said before, in your ad, in your 15 headlines, think about what makes your business unique. So put in your business name, that's one headline, but then like value propositions, great selection, amazing prices, fast shipping, free shipping, locally owned, minority owned, whatever it is that may make people buy from you versus someone else, uh, put that in. Uh, bidding, automated bidding is great because then you don't have to worry about like, is it $1, $2 and how's that going to compare to sales? But you have to think about telling Google, what is it you're trying to achieve? And so that's through conversion tracking. And so in conversion tracking, think about how can you be as specific as possible? So in my case, I sell software on a monthly subscription basis. One of my conversions is to get a lead for a free trial signup. But if I communicate that as my goal to Google, that's actually incorrect because that's not what I care about in my business. Like that's a great step towards becoming a customer of mine, but becoming a customer of mine, that's what I care about. Somebody actually saying, I'm willing to pay money for this. So that's really important because a lot of people tell Google sort of this intermediate goal, something that's not really what they care about. And then you have the automation system that says, hey, I can get lots of these trial signups for lots of people to fill out a form. But, you know, how do I maximize that? How do I get the most for a given budget? So they go after the cheapest. And the cheapest are cheap because other competitors didn't want to bid for it. So it generally tends to be lower quality traffic. Uh, And that's the risk, right? So specify as well as you can what it is you want Google to do now with those keywords, with those responsive search ads. And then turn it on and then turn it on with a, you know, a moderate budget. Make sure your budget is at least, say, like 10 times your cost per acquisition or your cost per click so that it has some flexibility to experiment. And these are daily budgets in Google, right? So be careful with that. It's a daily budget. So 30 times that, that's roughly your monthly budget of what it can spend. Uh, and then monitor, 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 see what's happening. Uh, but don't get disillusioned. Like if in the first four days you don't get a conversion, 
that doesn't mean the conversions are not out there, right? It just means that maybe you look at the keywords you've selected and you tweak them a little bit. Uh, start looking at search terms reports. What is it people actually typed in? Maybe that's completely different from what you intended. Put in negative keywords. And that's where Optimizer as a tool comes in really nicely because it'll, it'll tell you those things. It'll say, okay, here's an analysis. Here's a couple of ways you can save money. Here's a couple of ways you can like boost your performance, uh, boost a number of results. And we just tell you, and then we give you a button where you can click and just go and uh, apply it to the account. Uh, and by the way, we have Optimizer Lite, which is free to start with for small advertisers. Um, so there's really no reason not to try it out. Yeah, got it. Uh, one of my clients uh, used, uh, if I remember correctly, 5,000 minus words. 5,000, you know, and uh, he couldn't get results uh, before using all these minus words. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually how he found them, he, uh, uh, you know, he used uh, some tools, uh, uh, copied these keywords, uh, uh, insert to Google search, uh, analyze image uh, search and <laughs> decided, oh, no, no, it's not for my products, not my for product. And he spent a few months to create this uh, uh, list of words, you know, yeah. And today it works well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, negative keywords. And, and so that's the nice thing about Google Ads. They have so many controls, mm-hmm. negative keywords, negative placements. Um, if you're not doing automated bidding, you can do things like geographic bid adjustments, day parting bid adjustments. So there's a lot of flexibility. So you can literally say, like, here's my budget, but I only want my ads to run from nine in the morning until five in the afternoon. And I only want to show it in this zip code. Um, and then these are my keywords, but don't show it for these negative keywords, right? If if the searcher also types in the keyword free, then don't show my ad because my stuff is not free, right? So it's, it's a lot of flexibility, like you said. Um, and I love that your friend actually saw it through because that's sort of the goldmine at the end, right? Like it's... It's not easy to get it right, but once you get it right, it's like having another salesperson on your team who's just like picking up all this traffic, funneling it through, um, and helping businesses grow, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, okay, let's talk about um, covering uh, 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 some stages of sales funnel. For example, in um, ACO or organic reach, we can cover uh, low stages uh, in informal keywords, no, not transactional. Uh, what about pay-per-click? Is it a good idea to uh, create content and uh, use paid marketing? Or it's better to pay attention with uh, top funnel where we actually sell products? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so you can do both, right? So search mm-hmm. is really nice because someone who's ready to buy has a very specific way of typing that in. You got to be there. You and, and even if it's they're looking for your competitor, you still mm-hmm. got to be there. You got to be like, hey, you know, last minute chance here. Like, have you considered that we might actually do something better or cheaper? Uh, and you still try to capture that. Uh, on the other side of the, the upper funnel, sort of that I- initial engagement, that's a little trickier. And that may be, like you said, a content play. So they're not quite ready to buy, but they're looking for a guide. Um, like, how do I pick? a great digital camera, what factor should I consider? You have a piece of content, you show them that content, you cookie them, you pixel them. And so now as they continue doing other things, you get to re-engage with them. And by the way, Google ads, they have uh, remarketing lists for search ads, RLSA. And what that means is someone who came in very early on and, and you dropped a cookie, 
Now, if they go and do another search, you can say, oh, if they search for that thing and they are on my cookie list because they engaged with me earlier, they're more likely to already know me. So maybe I want to bid a little bit more because I have a higher chance of capturing that deal. Uh, or you can do the flip side. You can say, hey, they, they engaged with a page on my website, which was all about like discounts and cheap. And, and I'm like, okay, that's not the traffic I want to pay for. So again, but you cookie them and now you say whatever they search for, if they're also on this list, I want a bit less for it because I think they're not as valuable of a customer. Um, and so that, that's one nice thing to do. And, and then you can also do things with your CRM system. So you can say, find me everyone who's in uh, sort of a sales qualified lead stage and then take all of those email addresses, upload them into Google, build a customer match list. And now you can start having separate ads just for that segment of uh, people. And there have to be enough people on the list, but you can start doing some audience-based things, uh, connecting into your CRM. So there's, there's nifty ways you can do it, but, but maybe some of those last ones are for the more advanced once you get uh, the hang of the other stuff. Yeah, got it. Okay, can you lead uh, our audience uh, where they can learn more about uh, paid marketing? Uh, where are they? they need to start for example uh i uh, i asked a few times um preferable resources of learning and uh, in most cases they proclaim they like uh courses you know yeah. uh, i usually pay more attention with marketing books uh, and uh, blog posts uh from your experience where it's better to start today which resources is better to consider and yeah something about that. Yeah, I think if you're brand new into uh, pay-per-click and paid search, a course is probably a good thing because um, the thing about a course is that they have a curriculum. So they guide you through, you should know this before we can try to explain this, right? So curriculum is great. Isaac Rudensky has a great course on Udemy. Um, so that's Isaac Rudensky. Look mm -hmm. him up at the most popular Google Ads course. Uh, we love the course, so it's a great place to get started. Um, the other thing, and once you get a little bit more familiar with how things work, I'm a big fan of search engine land. Uh, obviously that's a place many SEOs know, but they have great paid search content as well. So that's a good place to go and figure out what is Google changing, uh, but not just how Google changes it, but also what do advertisers think about it? How are they using it? How does it work in the real world? So, um, I think those two. Are good and then as far as books so i wrote a book so go and check it out it's called unlevel the playing field uh, you can find it on amazon it's an ebook you can also get a printed copy uh, it's my second book so unlevel the playing field the biggest mind shift in ppc history is the one uh, to look for right now um and then op obviously the optimizer blog we uh we're known to have kind of like deeper content so more tactical so once you understand what google makes available How do you actually put it into, uh, how do you execute on it? So that, that's what we talk about. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for that. It's a big pleasure to get you uh, on my show, you know, to learn from you, to get all these insights. Uh, share how people can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah. So uh, optimizer.com, spelled strangely, O-P-T-M-Y-Z-R. There's no E in there. Uh optimizer.com and then personally i'm at silicon valleys uh also follow at optimizer that's both on twitter uh primarily twitter is like the place where we all hang out in the, the ppc world so uh yeah those are some good places to follow us and uh and then we i also do a show just like yours uh we, we use the same software every two weeks roughly it's called ppc town hall 
So check that out. We have a YouTube channel for it. It's a, a great place to hear what's new and exciting in the world of PPC. Got it. Okay, guys, you can find all these links, uh, weird links in the description below. <laughs> it, it's not weird. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like uh, spoiler like this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, it's a big pleasure uh, to learn from you and uh, always welcome to my show. <laughs> Thank you, Anatoly. It was uh, great chatting with you. And thanks, everyone, for uh, watching the episode and listening in. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.